Welcome to our C3 Grow podcast. Wherever you are today, we hope that this message encourages you. We'd love to see you in person at one of our three locations, Howick, Ormiston, and Suva. Visit c3grow.org for details. Today we're continuing our series, Blessed Are, and this is based on the first sermon Jesus gave to a large crowd at the beginning of his ministry. Matthew 5.1 tells us, actually tells us that Jesus looked out on the crowds, plural. So that means there were a lot of people. This is a crowd. There were crowds. That's a lot of people. And today we're looking at the sixth beatitude found in Matthew 5, 8. So if you have your Bibles, please turn there. While you're doing that, the word beatitude means supreme blessedness or happiness. And Jesus begins each statement in the beatitudes with blessed are. Now, blessed means literally happy, fortunate, and blissful. And I am sure that when Jesus looked upon the crowd, he saw many that were not happy, were not fortunate, and were not blissful. So it makes sense to me that as he looked upon the crowds, he would have done so with compassion, and he would begin to describe how they could find that supreme blessedness and happiness. And in each beatitude, Jesus describes the experience of well-being. Now, not well-being as the world would describe it, but the divine experience of well-being discovered by those who share his heart and follow his ways, which are opposite, we know, to common worldly ways of pursuing happiness. Matthew 5, 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The first part of this verse said, Blessed are the pure in heart. Now, when Jesus said this, it's important to to realise that the old law of the Jewish people was actually about staying clean or pure instead of unclean. And in in Leviticus chapters 11 to 14, it defines what is considered clean or unclean in terms of food, diseases, childbirth and moulds. All of these rules were there for the Jewish to be pure externally, and would have been what was on their mind when Jesus was talking. However, while those rules are practical and were necessary, they are not what Jesus was concerned about when he was talking to the crowds. When Jesus says, pure of heart, he's referring to ex- he's, he isn't referring to external purity or behaviours. He's actually talking about internally being internally pure, He's talking about the state of our hearts. And we actually see this in later in Matthew 23, 25 to 28, when Jesus rebukes the Jewish leaders, he says this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. 
Now, even before Jesus walked the earth, the Old Testament shows us that the Lord looks at the heart of a person, not the external. Turn with me to 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. This is where the Lord is telling, tells Samuel to anoint a king, a new king of Israel. And we know that Samuel, go, Samuel goes to Jesse and he's standing looking at the appearances of all Jesse's sons, but not David because David's not there. So he's looking at all David's brothers. And Samuel says this, surely, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now remember, all Samuel's brothers were tall, handsome, they were warriors, they were strong, they were Hulk, you know. But in verse 7, this is what we read. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And we know the story. Samuel eventually goes down all the brothers. The Lord says, no, no, no. And then he turns to Jesse and said, is there another son? So they go and get David from among the sheep, the youngest of the brothers, who is then anointed to be king. So why David? I mean, we're told that he is handsome, but he's just a shepherd boy. He's not a warrior. He's had no experience using armour. He's had no experience in warfare. He's had no experience at leading an army. So why David? Mind you, although he's only had experience leading sheep, I guess sometimes leading sheep can be like leading a herd of men, right, woman? Is that, would that be right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway, I digress. <laughs> anyway, we find the answer in Acts 13.22. Sorry, I'm being naughty. Please forgive me. In Acts 13.22, after removing Saul, he made David their king. God testified concerning him. In other words, concerning David. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. In Psalm 51, verse 10, and we'll actually look at Psalm 51 a bit, bit in depth and later, but we, in verse 10, we hear the cry of David's heart. And that is, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. David was not concerned with outward things. His heart was turned solely towards God. The desire, the hunger, the passion to seek God and his ways was at the centre of David's life. God's heart, God's will, and God's ways were David's priority in all he did. They were his guide in his actions. They were his truth in his decisions, and they were his compass in his travels. And in fact, Scripture, in Scripture, the heart is presented as the wellspring of life. And behaviour is presented as being downstream or out of the flow of the heart. The heart is the root the behaviour is the fruit. So when Jesus talks about the pure in heart, he's talking about a deep radical purity that goes beyond merely changing what we do and how we behave. It changes and redefines who we are, which in turn changes and redefines how we behave. Jesus is saying here that 
being blessed is not just about good behaviour. Rather, good behaviour that grows as a fruit as a result of a pure heart. He's saying the result of a pure heart is a heart, sorry, a pure heart is a heart that is pure in motives, it is pure in thoughts, it is pure in choices. It is a heart untarnished by self-centeredness and self-interest. And this, this is where it gets a little bit harder, which then results in actions that are pleasing to God and a blessing to others. The second thing God, uh, Jesus said in this verse is that, for they shall see God. Now, Exodus 32:20, the Lord tells Moses that no man can see God's face and live. So when Jesus says the pure in heart will see God, one interpretation is he's not talking about physically seeing the Lord's face. Rather, he's talking metaphorically. In other words, when you know the Lord, you know his desires, you know his love, you know his intentions, you know they are good, you experience him, then you see him. Yes, that's true. You know, as a shepherd boy, David was surrounded by creation day and night. He saw the majesty of God in it, and he spent hours worshipping God and exalting his virtues. The Psalms are full of David's songs to God, declaring his love for God and his total dependence on God. David sought the face and the heart of God before he sought his hand. And he came to know God not just for what he could do, because God had saved him many times from the lion when he was looking after the sheep. But David came to know him not just for that, not just for what he could do, but for who he was. David had come to know his thoughts, his heart and his will. He knew God was a just and loving God and a good God who desires only good for his children. So yes, David saw God and he trusted him completely and he felt totally safe and secure in obeying God. And this is actually what made him a great king whose priority, which we'll see later, was to lead his people into seeing God. And it was out of that that came the victory and prosperity as a nation. That did not come first. He led his people into the, to the Lord first. However, David gives us the key to seeing God in Psalm 24, verse, verses 3 to 6. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place and see? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. They will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God their Saviour. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, God of Jacob. Those who may ascend the Lord's mountain and stand in his holy place and see him are those who have nothing to do with falsehood, who are honest speak and work with honesty and who live with truthfulness as their true north and strive to operate with integrity. Now, James 4.8 says this, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded people. 
Quite strong words, eh? But like Psalm 24, here again is a reference to the cleaning or cleansing of hands and the purification of the heart if we are to draw near to God, if we are to ascend the hill of the Lord, or as Jesus put it in our text today, if we are to see God. Now what James describes those who need to cleanse their hands and purify their hearts as double-minded. What does that actually mean? I think I'm pretty, you know, single focus. But what it means is they live their, div- their lives with a division of the heart. It's not actually really about the mind, it's the heart. Pledging their lives to God in word whilst trying to keep a friendship with the world on the side. And James tells us later in verse 4, Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. The pure in heart do not attempt to belong to both God and the world. The pure in heart have a full allegiance to God. They are single-minded in their desire to do His will above all else. That doesn't mean we'll be perfect, and I'll come to that later. But finally, I want to look briefly at what the application of David's experience is to us. Because God calls us to live lives marked by truth. To live lives where we love God with all our hearts, not double-minded with divided hearts. To live lives which we, in which we seek God and His will above and over all else. He calls us to flee from sin and pursue righteousness, righteousness, faith, love and peace. But how? Proverbs 29, 20 verse 9 says, Who can say, I have made my heart pure. I am clean from my sin. I know I can't. Left to my own devices, I can be double-minded. Things of the world still lure me. I long to love unconditionally, but I can still be judgmental. I long to be patient, but I can still lose my call. Just ask my... Oh, he's not here, so ask me. I long to be peaceful, yet I can still be anxious about the future. So how do we do what God desires of us? How do we become pure of heart and see God? Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 51 again. It's encouraging... And comforting to me to know that even David, whom God declared as having a heart after his heart, struggled with double-mindedness. This was written after David's lowest point where he had committed adultery with the Bathsheba and the prophet Nathan confronted him. And this is the cry of David's heart. And this needs to be the cry of our heart daily. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness 
even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Verse 7, this is key. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your way so that sinners will turn back to you. In verse 7, David says, Cleanse me with hyssop. Now the Hebrew word for hyssop is adzob, which means, I hope I said that right, which means holy herb. Hyssop was a herb used for cleaning temples and sacred places. It was associated with cleansing and forgiveness of sin. And it was actually the plant that that the Israelites used to take up the blood of the lamb and paint it over their doorposts in Exodus before the night before they fled. And here, David is spiritually not physically dirty. He is looking to... Thank you, Lord. He is looking to God to do a work of spiritual and moral cleansing and to do it, take note, and to do it in connection with the atoning sacrifice of a substitute. David's hope was not in himself. David's hope was in God and so is ours. And David's reference in verse 7 to hyssop and being washed till he's white as snow points you and I to Jesus Christ. When Jesus dying on the cross said, I'm thirsty, someone took a hyssop branch, put a sponge on it, put it in water and put it to Jesus' lips. And the appearance of the hyssop at the cross reminds us why Jesus died on the cross, for the forgiveness of sins. He suffered not for anything he had done, but for what you have done and I have done. I can have the band up, please. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we'll continue to do that if left on our own, just like David. But Jesus sacrificed his life for us so that we could be redeemed in the eyes of God. It is the blood of Jesus that purifies us. This is a free gift of salvation offered to us by Christ. And if you have never received it, there will be an opportunity at the end of the service to do so. The moment you receive this free gift by receiving Christ, you are justified by before God. Your sin debt is paid and you are saved from the penalty of sin. Your account is wiped clean of all sin debt, past, present, future, and you are credited with the righteousness of Christ. Your heart is made pure because the sin that blinded you and separated you from God is removed and you are welcomed into His presence where there is fullness of joy for the first time. That is the first moment that Jesus is talking about when He says, you will see God. That is the first time you see God. And how awesome is that? But you know, the journey doesn't stop there. 
justification or being justified is when God is acting as judge and, it, and declares you righteous. And it's actually about your standing or your position before God. But then there is to be a process of sanctification where we are recreated righteous. So when we receive Christ, we are declared righteous, but then we need to be recreated righteous. And this is about your state or your heart condition before God. And Paul puts it this way in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled faces, beholding or seeing the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, meaning the same image of the Lord from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You know, as those who are justified before God, there is to be a daily surrender to the Holy Spirit so that He can continue the work God begun when He declared us justified. God continues to act as heart surgeon, purifying us from the inside out. And this is about us turning away from the world and turning to God. It's about us giving Him full allegiance, us giving Him His rightful place in our lives. And what does it look like? If we look at David, that's what it looks like. It is having a desire, a hunger, a passion to seek God in His ways at the centre of our lives, not just when we feel like it. It is making God's heart, His will and His way priority in all you do. It is making them your guide in your actions, your truth in your decisions and your compass in all your travels. It's about you being single-minded in your desire to do His will over and above all else. And you know, the beautiful thing is that as God transforms our heart, our nature increasingly grows to correspond with the standing of purity we actually we have in, in Him. And as we do, our vision of God becomes clearer. And what is the fruit of a transformed heart, a pure heart? Well, David told us at the end of Psalm 51, he says in verse 13, Then I will teach transgressors your way, so that sinners will turn back to you. And James in 1 verse 27 says, It is to look after orphans and widows in their distress. The fruit of a pure heart is a willingness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in actions that are pleasing to God and a blessing to others. And you might say, well, that sounds like a lot of hard work. Well, yes, it is. I'm not going to lie. It is a lot of hard work and it's daily. But there is a reward. And do you want to know what that reward is? It is that great. I'm pleased someone wants to know. It is that one day when Christ returns, we will be glorified. We will be completely free from the presence of sin. We will be like Him in righteousness. And with completely unveiled eyes, we will see God in all His glory, just as Isaiah did when he got that vision of God on his throne. And how amazing is that? What a beautiful promise for the pure of heart, a promise of fullness of joy in the presence of God forever. Thanks for listening. We hope this message has blessed you. For more information about our church, you can find us online at c3road.org.